They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've met hundreds of wrestlers. They own thousands of DVDs and have watched millions of hours of wrestling. They are Prime Time Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling. I am Chad, and as always, I am joined by my tag team partner, Prime Time, John Paz. John, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing pretty damn good. How are you doing, Chad? Chad is doing just fine, brother. And tonight, our guest on this show is going to be the universal heartthrob, Austin Idol. And I guess you could say continuing the tradition of the fantastic Memphis wrestling guests that we've had on this program. What are your thoughts on Austin Idol? Just awesome to be able to talk to the legend, the underrated legend, as I think, Austin Idol, the Universal Heartthrob. I mean, he's just so fun to talk to. He was fantastic. And one thing that I thought really stood out, and we touched on this with a couple of our other guests that have a great knowledge of Memphis, which you could definitely go back and listen to, um, Michael Elliott, Mark James. We had some great talks with those guys. But the insight into the ICW versus Memphis wrestling was fascinating, and I think we got a better look at it than I think maybe we've ever heard. Oh, with that, that was really cool to get his take on the macho man, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, really cool to hear uh, you know, a real insider in the moment at that time story of what happened behind the scenes. That is just a really cool underrated feud. And his, you know, recollection of talking about Macho Man at that point was great. Yeah. Great story at the end about the Macho Man. Great story at the end about Hulk Hogan. He's a guy who never got a shot in the big time. He also talks about that in the main promotions like the WWF and Jim Crockett promotions. But that's enough out of me. It's time for the Universal Heartthrob to take over. But before that, the other Universal Heartthrob, Primetime Paz, what do you got to say? Oh, yeah, you definitely want to check this one out. Austin Idol, one of the most underrated legends of all time, one of the best promo men of all time, and, and he gives you a handful all the way through Memphis to his legendary feud of the year in 1987 versus Jerry the King Lawler and much, much more. He is the Universal Heartthrob. Glenn Kelly, real estate tycoon and real estate promoter extraordinaire, teams with WWE legends for the charity event of a lifetime. On Saturday, June 13th, join Glenn Kelly, glennkelly.com, and B985 at the Aztec Oceanfront Resort in Seaside Heights from noon to 4. This is your chance to meet WWE legends like Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Mick Foley, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and many more. All proceeds for this will go to Eternal Tranquility. For all event info and to Sponsor your company, visit glenkelly.com. That's G-L-E-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com. With us on the line tonight is a man who is known as the universal heartthrob. His flamboyant personality and muscular physique 
led to him having a quite successful career in the wrestling business. He is one of the best promo guys to ever step through the ropes. He is the women's pet and the men's regret. He is Austin Idol. Yeah, Austin, thank you for going into Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. No, 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 no. That's that's fine. I've been stepped on all my life. You know, it's okay. Just as a little kid growing up, stepped on, stepped on, stepped on. But uh, somehow or another, you know, I just kind of crawled up and kept crawling up the ladder, crawling up the mountain, and uh, did okay. But it's a pleasure being on with you guys. I've heard a lot of wonderful things about you, and, uh, you know, I feel really, really uh, good and, and real happy about being on with you. All right. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. We really appreciate it. But if we if we don't mind starting at the beginning, how did you get started in the wrestling business? Oh man, what a story that is! You know, I, and try to, to to give you a little thumbnail on it uh, without taking up too much time. Of course, it was uh, it was the year the headlines in the newspapers around the country were dirt has just been discovered. <laughs> it's been, it, was, it was a long time, a long time ago. But uh, I was on a powerlifting team uh, way back, I guess that was about 1970, and uh, Eddie Graham's son, Mike Graham, uh, both of them no longer with us, which is wild, you know, sometimes hard to imagine. But uh, So anyway, I was on a powerlifting team with Mike Graham and a few other guys, and uh you know, just working a construction job, you know, hard, hard work. And then over a period of time, I kept lobbying to Mike. Gosh, Mike, you know, why don't you see if you can talk to your dad and maybe see if I can't give me a workout. You know, just just, just, try, just trying to break the ice, you know. And uh, finally, you know, that, that happened. You know, he convinced his father to let me have what, but uh, I thought, well, I really didn't know what it was going to be, a workout, you know. But it was a, really it turned out to be a horrible experience. It was a nightmare. But uh, I was actually the first local kid in Tampa to break into the wrestling business because Eddie Graham, who was uh, very protective about the business back then, and, of course, everything was different than it is today. He was very, very protective, and he did not want any locals breaking in or starting in the wrestling business. So I was actually the first one. And everybody really kind of followed suit. But I, I took the big hit for everybody else because they, they, they punished me for about 11 months. What kind of training did they have you doing, you know, during the, during the quote-unquote punishment? To take, uh, the training was, I'll, I'll give you an example. The first night that uh, I went down to where they did the television tapings back then, um, I, Mike said to me, whatever you do, don't eat or drink anything for five hours before we, wow. yeah. So I knew that was, there's a reason for that. So anyway, I walked into this small little place called the Sportatorium where they did the television tapings, the weekly tapings, and standing in the ring was Jack Briscoe, who just happened to be twice NCAA heavyweight wrestling champion. He was the real deal, you know. Bob Roop, who was a Greco-Roman army champion, who weighed about 325 pounds, was in the ring. These guys are already dressed out. Uh, Eddie Graham, who was a pretty fair hand himself, and Hiro Matsuda, who was a Japanese star, and the guy was a, he was a beast. He was an animal. So uh, <laughs> Eddie introduced me to all of them. Hey, this is another blah, 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 names, shake hands. And then, uh, I, I, you know, and I really didn't know squat about amateur wrestling. 
I mean, I really didn't. I was a, you know, 270-pound power lifter could bench press over 500 pounds, which actually worked against me. But, um, yeah, they they really, they, they really took me to the woodshed. <clears throat> you know, and, uh, of course, it could have been real, really bad and ugly. But, you know, being that I was friends with Mike, they knew that they could you know, only take me so far. I'm sure they were given instructions by Eddie, like really punishing, making hurt, making really know that this is not just a, you know, a walk in the park business. And that went on for about 11 months, you know, and uh, it was just a fight. I mean, I was just fighting for my life, you know, three, three days a week, three days a week fighting for my life for, for 11 months till they finally said, well, this kid, yeah, I guess he's too stupid to quit. And they, they went ahead and kind of, let me get into the, you know, really get into the front door of the wrestling business. And then you went on to wrestle as uh, Iron Mike? No, I started there as a referee, actually. Oh, and, okay. uh, yeah, I started as a referee. And then they let me, you know, they gave me like a few matches way away from campus, and no one would would recognize me because that's how protective they were. So they gave me a few matches as Dennis McCord, and then finally, uh, they sent me to Nick Goulis in Tennessee, and I wrestled under the same name. And I was starving to death there. It was horrible. But uh, but I had met, it's funny, right before I had left uh, to go to, left Tampa to go to uh, Nashville to wrestle for Nick Goulis, I had met Jack Briscoe's brother, Jerry Briscoe, who just happened to be in for the night, I believe, from Charlotte. And because Jack and I had then become very, very friendly, uh, Jerry said to me, listen, if you ever want to come to Charlotte, just here's my number, give me a shout. And after about six weeks of starving to death in Nashville, I called Jerry. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll get you in here. And, and I, he did. And I, I went into Charlotte. And immediately I started making money. You know, I mean, I mean, not a bundle of money, but I was making, I think my second week in, in Charlotte was 740 bucks, which was, uh, I didn't know there was that much money in the world. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and that's and I met Gary. Yeah, I really didn't because I went from a, a hundred making a hundred and sixty dollars a week to my first week in Charlotte for I think it was four four hundred and something. Second week seven seven forty. Met Gary Hart there, who was just on his getting ready to leave there and go to Australia. Gary and I struck up a friendship. Say, hey, listen, if you ever want to come to Australia, just give me a call. Bang! I went to Australia. And that was a great break for me. I mean, I mean, I went to Australia making a thousand bucks a week, so I went from 160 a week to a thousand bucks a week in a relatively short time. And then, uh, after the gig in Australia was up, Jim Barnett, who was the promoter then, the Australian government kicked everybody out, and Jim Barnett liked me. He said, "Where do you want to go?" And I said, "New York." Bang. Went to New York. And uh, Vince McMahon Sr. gave me the name Iron Mike McCord. Oh, okay. And then you had, uh, I guess, is that when Captain Lou was your manager? Yeah, yeah. Wonderful thing. I, I, I'd been in New York about six weeks, and, you know, I was kind of doing okay, you know, underneath on the card. And then we were in Philadelphia doing television tapings one day, and Vince Sr. sent word over that he wanted to talk to me, and, and, uh, and I've repeated this several times. I thought I was in trouble and I was going to get fired. You know, I mean, 
the old man, what's he, what's, what have I done wrong, you know? And uh, he called me over and he said, look, kid, I like you, and uh, I'm going to put you with Lou Albano, and you're going to start making some money. And he did, and I did. What was it like working with uh, Pedro Morales? Uh, Pedro was Pedro. It was okay, and it, it was it was okay. You know, I don't give it. I'm not going to give it a five star rating, but it was you know it was okay. Pedro was a really good champion. It was dangerous. Uh, it, that's really the most memorable thing. It was very dangerous, very very dangerous back then at that time. Pedro had a huge following, and uh, they were very intense. And any, really, anybody who wrestled Pedro had to be on the lookout at all times, going to and from the ring. And there was a lot of times wrestling Pedro. I mean, it was uh, it was it was pretty spooky. It was a different time back then, you know. It was, it was pretty spooky. Yeah, definitely. Now, was Captain Lou as uh, eccentric behind the scenes as he was in front of the camera? Yeah, Lou was great. I mean, you you, you can't teach that stuff in school. <laughs> I mean, you can't. The education I got with Lou Albano was just unbelievable. I mean, he was such an incredible talent. I mean, he he really was. I mean, he, he was an amazing talent, and he he was so smart. I mean, he was a smart guy. He... Uh, I, I can remember go, go, going to. I can't. I can't remember the name of the town, but it was somewhere in Massachusetts. I want to say it was like Worcester, Mass. You know, it's a small town, but I just happened to get there early for whatever reason. And as I walked into this building, and I'm going back to where, where the dressing rooms, you know, were located. God, I heard this incredible piano music. I mean, somebody was really killing it on the piano, beautifully. Italian songs, like the, um, uh, you know, traditional Italian music. So, you know, I, I start walking toward the music. And and where when I got to the room where the where the piano was, there was Captain Lou Albano with his back to me, so he didn't know that I was watching him. And he was just really playing some beautiful music. So, I mean, I interrupted him. I said, Lou, I didn't know you could play the piano. He said, oh, yeah. He said, well, you know, I don't play it very often, but... My sister is a Carnegie Hall musician, so I, I grew up in a musical family. So these, that's where I get it. Now, without uh, you know talking about, well, I don't want to bring up any of the, the you know the negative things that may have happened, but we have to talk about the plane crash um, that really changed your career. And uh, I hate to say for the better because of the repercussions of what actually happened uh, with the plane crash itself, but uh, along with Gary Hart on uh, a, a plane flown by uh, Buddy Colt, uh, you crashed outside Tampa, Florida, and unfortunately took the life of wrestler Bobby Shane. Uh, I, I don't want to go and fully have you reflect on the actual incident itself, but it did lead to basically the creation of Austin Idol because you took some time off uh, from the wrestling business. Could you talk about how you came up with the Austin Idol character and went from being a powerlifting wrestler to the flamboyant and absolutely uh, captivating character that Austin Idol uh, was? Yeah, you know, really, I was going to quit the wrestling business. I, 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 after the plane crash, and I, and I rehabbed pretty good, and I went to Georgia. And, uh, matter of fact, Gary Hart had, was the booker at the time. He became the, booker, the booking agent. So, anyway... 
I was wrestling there and doing pretty good, really. I was doing fine. And I developed phlebitis in the bottom of my right shin, which the doctors think that it probably was a result from the plane crash because I had, you know, pretty bad feet and, you know, lower extremity injuries. So anyway, the doctor said, hey, look, you got a blood clot here. Go home, go to your apartment and, you know, elevate your leg and take these blood thinners and keep ice on it and don't get up out of, your, out of bed for anything. I mean, don't, do whatever you have to do, do it in bed. Uh, because if the if the blood clot uh, breaks away from the, the wall of the vein, it could go to your heart, your lungs, uh, your, you know, your brain, and you know, you could, it could kill you instantly. So it scared me to death. And at the time, at that time, I really was, I was about 300 pounds. But, I, you know, I was young. I, I figured I can get away with this body weight for a while. But that really forced me to make a change. So, so anyway, the blood clot dissolved. I went back to Tampa and decided I was going to take a year off and lose weight. And uh, and that's what I did. You know, I went from 300 pounds. Actually, I went all the way down to 198. And but it, but really, when going back to Tampa, and this was after the plane crash, the blood clot. And I thought, you know what? I'm done. This is just too much. I'm done. It's not worth it. So I, I got on my. I started losing weight training like an animal for six days a week. And then finally, as the weight started to get, I think probably when I got below 220, you know, I'm looking at myself and said, you know what, I look, I'm look, i looking pretty good here. And I got lighter and lighter, and I got down around 200 pounds. And when, it, when I saw that, I said, you know what, this could be an angle here. I'm, I might just be able to recreate something here that no one will recognize I'll do my hair, you know, I'll do my hair blonde and give myself a, a whole new whole new character. So I, I came up with the name, Austin Idol. And I like that name Idol because I felt like I could I could I can add a lot of taglines to Idol. Then at Women's Pet, Men's Regret, Universal Heartthrob. So I started, you know, creating these different little tags and tried to determine who this guy is where he's from, Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'll give him a finishing hole. I'll take that leg lock from Briscoe, who got it from Buddy Rogers, and I'll tweak it instead of making it the figure four. I'll call it the Las Vegas leg lock. It kind of rolls off, you know. So yeah. um, it kind of, that's kind of how it started, and uh, and I knew this guy's got to be cocky. He's got to have a great interview, and he's just got to be good on that stick, got to be good on that mic. And... uh that's kind of how it all went down. At uh, at that point, there, you know, not too many characters would stand out the way Austin Idol did. But what was the reaction when it came to getting booked and and going to different territories? Well, when initially, I mean, uh, I went out, I went to Dallas, and uh, I, you know, this as the first time as being Austin Idol, which was kind of weird. You know, you're I mean, it's the first time you're showcasing yourself and. And they gave me just a, a mediocre push. I give it a mediocre, but they did they did let me do a deal with uh, at the time. Um, let me see, that would have been I think that would have been Kevin Von Erich. Yeah, Kevin. We did an arm wrestling angle that really drew extremely well in Fort Worth, which was always one of their really tough towns. They bought it, you know. So I knew then when that. When that, we drew that pretty big house, that this guy Idol, he may have something. Went to Portland, Oregon. From there, 
hated it, only stayed about five weeks, decided this is not for me, and went home. Went back to Tampa and uh, did nothing, working out in the gym, just work, just working out, working out. One day at the gym where I worked out, Rocky Johnson was in there, and Rocky and I became buddies. And Rocky was working in the Memphis area, and, and he said to me, he said, you know, I think you, you could really kill it in Memphis. He said, why don't you let me put in a word with you with Jerry Jarrett? No, that's right. No, no, no. I, I, I was going back and forth a little bit in Detroit. That's right for the sheet, yeah. But anyway, that going back and forth from Tampa. So the thing with Rocky in the gym, that happened. And I said, sure, that's fine. So sure enough, Rocky gave me, said, hey, Jared wants to talk to you. Here's his number. Give him a call. So I called him, and he said, look, I'd like to bring you good things about you. I'd like to bring you up for television in Memphis. Are you interested? So I said, sure. Went up, did the TV with Memphis, and uh, got over immediately, and Jared wanted to bring me in full-time. I said to him, I don't want to work full-time, but I'll, I'll work three days a week. And he went for it. <laughs> I mean, he went that for was... it. I couldn't believe it. He went for it. So I'd work in Memphis on Mondays, Louisville on Tuesdays, Evansville on Wednesdays, and once a month Thursday at Rupp Arena in Lexington. And that turned out now, to be an on, an on and off ten year run. It was a good run. It was a very good run. And when you think of Austin Idol, you definitely think of Memphis, and you definitely think of possibly one of the greatest feuds of all time against Jerry the King Lawler. What do you feel about that feud, and what are your memories looking back on how you know, basically how legendary that feud was with King? Well, we had a hot thing going, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I mean, of course, I knew it was hot, and I was in a great position there because Jerry and I, we worked together very, very well, and uh, I, I could basically do whatever I wanted to do. So if I had a, an idea, which I always had an idea, I mean, I always had an idea, uh, it was not a problem. Jerry said, yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And then, of course, obviously he had, you know, plenty of ideas himself, you know what I mean? So but, but the combination of both of us, you know, it was just a it was just a great relationship business wise for sure. And uh and I was pretty content there. I mean I knew that I could go elsewhere and make more money but and work, you know, ten times harder. But at that time in the in the wrestling business really um, I mean I d I don't know where else you could go and work three days a week and they're flying everywhere and you're you're making good money. I mean I was making they took really good care of me on the money. Yeah, they did. So, uh, I mean, I had a great part-time job. It was like a fireman. Work three, three on, four off. <laughs> yes, it was beautiful. Now, in particular, I know you, you guys had a few basically on and off for, you know, um, basically six or seven years to guys shooting on and off. Um, do you remember an angle which you guys had in 1981? You actually uh, dressed up as a Mexican wrestler and basically uh, sucker punched uh, Jerry? Yeah, of course that was my deal. Yeah, but I got to tell you, I, honestly, I saw something somewhat similar to that in Florida. Because remember, working part time, I mean, I, I could hang out, you know. And I think uh, <clears throat> Jody Hamilton, the assassin, did something kind of like that. It wasn't like just exactly like that for sure with Dusty in Florida. And when I saw it, I said, "Man, that's that's a great angle." I said, "I think I can re- kind of tweak that." And 
maybe maybe get some out of it. So I told Waller about it. I said, well, let's do this thing, you know. And uh, he said, yeah, let's do it. And it turned and I think that was, I think when we did that, I was just coming back in. I'd been out for a while, and that really reignited me quickly. And it turned out good. I mean, I had a great run with him as a, you know, as a heel and a baby face. You know, we did the against the Road Warriors. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, just uh, a lot of good memories there. In 1987, you and the King had one of my favorite feuds of all time. It was actually the Wrestling Observer Feud of the Year, 1987. It was you and Tommy Rich versus Jerry the King Lawler. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, time in your career, that epic feud that you had through that year? No, this was myself and Rich against Jess Lawler? Yeah, I mean, he brought in Bam Bam Bigelow and a few guys um, to kind of combat you and Tommy Rich. Yeah, I think I think what really happened there, kind of, sort of, was uh, Rich and I felt like we deserved a title shot, and where Lawler had, you know, given title shots to Bockwinkel and whoever and whatever, and so the 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 deal there was, uh, I believe Lawler was going to wrestle both of us the same night. I think that's what kind of started the, the Rich Idol type. Um, relationship and uh and then then that just grew i mean then, then that's when lawler started bringing in partners and partners and partners and partners and then of course obviously it all ended up building up to the big eventually the big cage match which, which was pretty crazy that match i mean i was recently watching i mean the match is awesome and it's pretty shocking that basically the heel wins the feud and, you know, goes over on Jerry the King. What what were your thoughts on basically winning one of the biggest matches in history of the territory? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's really, I think that should, uh, I should get some kind of a little mark there, you know, some little asterisk, something there, because that was a big deal for, for way back then. I mean, it was really a big deal. And, uh, you know, it was pretty. It's really pretty amazing. I mean, we knew it at the time, though. I mean, I knew this is, you know, when when Lawler gets, when he gets beaten and we do his hair. I mean, this place is going to go crazy. And if anybody's got a gun, anybody's got a knife, you know, better better look out. Better really, really look out because it's going to get hot. And it and it did. And you've seen the tape. I mean, guys trying to come over the over the cage, you know. But uh, and and really, and of course. Paul um, Paul Heyman, uh, he was he didn't have he didn't know. I mean, he really didn't know what was really going on about the da- in terms of the danger. Tommy knew, I would say Tommy knew a, a, a little bit, but the the only one that's really plugged into that thing was myself. I mean, I knew what the what what that danger level was and how bad it was, and I told those guys, listen, cops eventually opened these gates. Don't even think about walking. Don't even think about it. I'm telling you right now, sprint. Pretend like this is the Olympics and sprint because if we get caught in the aisle here, it's all over. I'm telling you, it's all over. And, uh, you know, you, there comes a point you got to save your own skin, you know. So I have no qualms about it, man. I, I knew, you know, the coward, the coward that runs away lives to run another day. <laughs> 
That's great. That's a great. That is a great credo for a heel right there to uh, to live by. Now you had such a great run uh, as a heel in Memphis and, and dominating uh, down there. Now was there ever any interest from New York or from uh, Crockett to bring you in at any point to be uh, a top heel and get a program with a top guy uh, for the title? Well, I, you know, you know, I guess the wrestling business like any other business. You know, you make friends and some of them. Sometimes you know you do things that you know upset people and vice versa. You know, but uh, not really. I, I don't think so from the Vince standpoint. And you know, I, I gave my notice to Vince's father after eleven or so months up there. I mean, I did it in a nice way. I did everything very professional. But uh, that that may have stuck with Junior. He could have. I'm not sure. But uh, and then the Crockett thing. That was kind of an kind of an interesting situation because at one time, gosh, obviously it was in the eighties. I can't just pinpoint it, but Ole Anderson, Ole had been in Atlanta. I had been in Atlanta. Ole got the book in, with Crockett and called me uh, when I was in Tampa, asked me if I wanted to work there and I knew those guys were killing themselves seven days a week and just murdering themselves, you know, and I said, Oh wait, I don't want to work full time like these guys. He said, Work work part time. Come on, I'll bring you in come in Fridays, Saturday and Sunday and you go home for four days. I said, I'll take it. And he did. And I and I did. And I went in and I made great money in Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, three 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 days. Friday, Saturday, that's three days. Yeah, I made great money for three days. And uh, my math, you know, every once in a while, it'll get a little slippery, you know. But uh, uh, he, uh, I had a car, it was, I was booked on a television, a television, I think, I think on Wednesday night somewhere, Raleigh, I don't, I don't know where it was. And the truth of the matter is, I'd had a car accident. And I called Ole and I said, Ole, the day, the day before, I said, Ole, I've had a car accident got a lot of issues going on. I can't make that TV tomorrow. You have to make it. I can't make it. Well, if you don't make it, there's going to be problems. Well, there's going to be problems because I'm not going to make it, Ole. So, you know, I'll make it the following week, whatever. Well, he could not get over that. So that... Well, that's... Yeah, and, and at that time, he was pushing me hard. And I was going to be the guy It was going to be me and Flair. And that was the push. I mean, I came in here the first first three days in there. I mean, they, I mean, knocking off Steamboat, knocking off these, you know, I mean, just going around the horn, beating all their top guys, you know, with the angle, pushing me with flair. Poor Roddy Piper was starving to death. And I love Roddy. And he'll admit Roddy was starving to death. I mean, just working his tail off, great talent. And, uh, you know, great guy. You know, love him, you know. And then uh, when Ole couldn't get over my deal, you know, you know, I was done. And then uh, Roddy got that spot, and I'm glad for Roddy. But he would admit that without any problem, you know. I mean, Roddy was going to make it regardless, you know, too much talent not to be, you know, you know, make it big. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's unfortunate that, you know, that it cost you that with Ole. Um, and unfortunately, a car accident, which you would think would be some kind of a plausible excuse. But I guess with all the stories that we've heard about Ole Anderson, it seems completely on point. But kind of sticking with you know the, with the question at hand, see the reason I brought it up is because an Austin Idol versus Hulk Hogan 
match at that point in the 80s would have been quite the big deal. Uh, and also with Hogan having that connection to, you know, being from Tampa as well. Uh, now, did you guys ever cross paths while you were in Memphis? Uh, I think we did just a little bit. You know, we did. Then uh, Hulk and I definitely spent some time together in uh, little old Dothan, Alabama. Where, where, you know, I was, he was really cutting his teeth. I was already a little bit established because I had already done uh, some in and out stuff for Atlanta TBS. And so being from the, basically the same poor neighborhood, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations. And uh, matter of fact, before I was, matter of fact, yeah, I had gone to Atlanta. Then, then Hulk had come to Atlanta as Sterling Golden. And then he got his, he got the opportunity to go to, uh, I think it was Minneapolis. I think, I think Minneapolis. And his last night in Georgia, we rode together to Augusta, Georgia. And I said to him, said, listen, here's what you, I know, I think he was going to New York. I think he was going to New York. I said, here's what you need to do. I said, because Bruno San Martino was a champion. I said, you need to use a, the ups, an upside-down bear hug as a, as a finishing hold, and then you need to refer to those big arms of yours as pythons. You tell them you're, those are pythons, and you're going to squeeze them until his eyes pop out. You know what I mean? That kind of a deal, you know, and, and he did. But other than that, you know, I mean, I had one, I've had one conversation with him in all these years, and it was before he went and took his gig at TNA, and Jimmy Hart had given him my number, and he called me, and we talked and laughed and had a great time just reminiscing, and uh, I said, listen, when you get up there, man, just uh, give me a shout. I said, I'd love to come up there and do something, you know, creativity-wise or whatever the case may be. He said, let me get up there, and I'll give you a call. Never heard from him. Interesting. Now, I just wanted to touch back on the NWA a little bit because you said basically, you know, you're beating the steamboat to the world at that point. Now, did you ever challenge Flair and Harley Race for the title? I thought I read that you uh, faced each guy for a title shot at one point in time. Yeah, Harley and I, we, we wrestled uh, in Atlanta several times from the uh, the Tommy Rich thing. You know, I did a thing with Tommy Rich, broke his leg, and I was the bounty hunter, and then you know, being paid off by Harley, and then kind of things kind of got reversed, and I wrestled against Harley. But uh, yeah, and then Flair, Flair and I wrestled one time in the Omni, which was interesting, and then uh, we wrestled oh a few times when I was down in in, in Alabama. And uh, I mean, there were great matches and big crowds. You know, I was over, and obviously, you know, he's over. So uh, every time we did wrestle, there were always big crowds and really, really good matches, very good matches. Now, a couple other guys, I guess they were pretty young starting out when you worked with them, but was uh, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Ravishing Rick Root. What are your thoughts on those two guys and working with them? Yeah, uh, I, I really I really liked Randy a lot, and uh, the story goes, and Maybe you know it, or you you, you know just, just want to hear it again. And I, I doesn't, I don't care. But I was in Memphis, and Randy was promoting a territory, a little small territory, in somewhere in somewhere in Missouri. I can't think of the name of the little town. Uh, I don't know, but it was like three or four hours away from Memphis, and <clears throat> Randy had had some issues uh, with mainstream wrestling, and no one wanted to use him. 
You know, he, he was a hot-tempered guy, had a short fuse, and, you know, he was a very intimidating guy. So Randy was a tough individual, uh, and nobody wanted to use him in mainstream. So, yeah, I guess he was blackballed, and Jerry, Jerry Jarrett called me into uh, my – well, no, he came into my dressing room one night in Memphis. He said, look, Papo, Randy Savage keeps calling me, keeps calling me. He wants to come in. He wants to come in. He said, but I asked Lawler, if, uh, you know, what he felt, you know, what, what he thought about it, and Lawler won't work with him. And Dundee or whoever, whatever, one word, and they're all afraid of him. He's going to beat him up because Randy had a history of that. I mean, he beat people up, you know. And not yeah, outside of the ring, outside of the building, you know, I mean, in the street. He had a history. And uh, he said, would you would you work with him? I said, absolutely, I'll work with him. I said, I have no problems with Randy Savage. I said, no, I don't even really know him. I said, but I've got no problems. Bring him in. And uh, Jared said, are you sure? I said, bring him in. And uh, he did. A couple, two or three weeks later, and I'm, Randy came into my dressing room, and I, and I talked to him. I said, look, Randy, nobody wanted to use you here. They're all scared to death. You're going to beat them up or whatever the case may be. I said, all I want to do is make money, okay? And I'm sure that's why you're here. You want to make money. So all we have to do is be business. So all we have to do is be business, and everything's going to be fine. And he was, and he, and, he, and his brother uh, Lanny, who's a great guy, came in with him, and his father at the time. So they all three, all three, Buffos got back into the wrestling business. So unknowingly, I kind of had his future in the palm of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy when you think about it. And then even after that, I guess Mulder thought it was okay to work him. I guess after he worked you. Well, Randy knew then. Look, this is this might be my last shot. You know, I've, I've got to make the best of it. So we had great matches, you know, and uh, we were all business, and we got along great. So uh, I never, you know, it was really, really sad deal, you know, when when Randy died so unexpectedly. I really, I really, really liked him. Now, there's a random story I have here, um, basically an urban legend. It says about. 20 years, I guess, 20 years ago, there was a story about a battle royal uh, check, basically. You, you were in a battle royal, and the, the check was cashed for over $5,000. What is the what is that urban legend? What is that story? That's a horrible rumor. I, who, who spread that rumor? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's all over I the guess. place. That's a horrible rumor, yeah. Well, what happened was... Uh, Fred Ward, who was the promoter in Columbus, Georgia, he ran yeah, Columbus, Georgia was his main town. Uh, and, yeah, and, and Wednesday nights would be Columbus, and that's when you worked for Fred. You know, Fred made the payoff for that, that, that town, and it was always terrible. I mean, just terrible. You know, Fred was, he was the consummate thief. He really was, and everybody knew it, so we all... All the boys knew, well, you know, we're going to get it tonight, you know, and, uh, but, you know, it'll all, it'll all pan out and equal out at the end of the week. So, anyway, I wasn't even in the area, and I was down somewhere in Florida somewhere, and, and I get a call from, uh, I believe it was Ole. Yeah, I think Ole was booking. He said, look, uh, we're doing a battle royal in Columbus. We, were you interested? And I said, yeah, only if I get a guarantee for the night because I, I knew the guy's history, you know. Um, Fred Ward, he said, okay, here's, your, here's the deal. So we, we, we worked out a 
we worked out an agreement, and uh, they flew me in, and and they had the battle royal, and at the end of the night, you know, I win the battle royal, and Fred Ward comes into the ring, you know, kind of lumbers into the ring, and and uh, presents me with a check. I didn't even look at the check; just raised my hand, put the thing in my tights, and didn't think twice about it. Went back to the dressing room, and you know, time to take a shower. And as I was, you know, taking my tights off, there's a check, and I looked at the checks. Oh, here's the check, and I opened it up, and bang! Pay the order off, not a five thousand dollars winner of the Battle Royal, signed Fred Ward. I said, Whoa, what? <laughs> this is this is this isn't normal. So, but, but really, I didn't think much about that. It really, I just said, well, this is not normal. But I kept the check. And then went, went, flew back to Tampa. And I just took the check and I put it, like, in a sock drawer somewhere, you know, just totally out of sight. And just months later, I'd forgotten about it. Months later, we're taking it. My wife and I are going to take a little vacation to come to the Carolinas. And we're going to drive up. And I'm going through, thumbing through some socks or whatever. And bang, I see the check. 5000 bucks Paid to me. <laughs> I knew that check. I knew that check was good because I knew he, the money was in that account. And I looked at the more I looked at that check, I said, "You know what? This guy has stolen so much money from these, so many wrestlers for so long. It's just a, you know, it, maybe it's time to turn the tables." So, <laughs> so I put the check in the car and we're driving a nice leisurely little trip. I stopped in Atlanta where I did all my banking before, no bank account, no nothing. Walk in, they all recognize. Oh, hey, Austin, how you doing? Great, walk up and says, Can I get this cash this all hundreds place? Bang, boom, boom, <laughs> walked out with five grand and hundreds, you know. And it was uh, it was kind of a cool thing, you know. I mean I knew it was I mean, I knew it was wrong, but I also knew it was right. So you know, it's like kissing your sister. You know, I mean I, I don't know, but I'm <laughs> glad I, but <laughs> but I'm I'm glad I did it. I still I have no regrets of that, you know? None whatsoever. Now, one thing that that's very interesting about you is that obviously great promo guy, the Universal Hearts. I've also had probably one of the best promo guys of all time. But then you transition that into your life today, and you became a motivational speaker. How did that come about? Well, you know, see, I, when I quit the wrestling business, I quit it on, on, a, on a lark. You know, it was just like a seriously on a lark. I mean, I was actually going, getting ready to go to work one night, and I said, "This is it. I'm done. I'm through." And I quit the wrestling business right then and there, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I took some I took some time off. I figured, you know, I give myself I'll give myself six weeks here to really think this thing through. What are you going to do now? Because you're a young guy, you, you still need to make money. What are you going to do? And I uh, I kind of backed into the real estate business. Is what happened there. Okay. Uh, backed into the wrestling, uh, the real estate business, and I, I started investing in real estate strictly as a buyer and a seller. I'd buy and I'd sell, buy and sell, over and over and over and over for years. And it was when I was doing it and where I was doing it, I mean, I, I don't think I had hardly any competition as opposed to now where everybody's flipping houses and everybody, you know. But back then, I was like just off the radar guy, you know. I go in, if I, uh, and I knew my, I knew my property. I, I learned really quickly. I knew where the property, where I wanted to concentrate on the areas, the neighborhoods. I knew the dollar per square foot was the going rate for selling. So I knew what I would have to buy for, in order to make any money. You know, just the margins of it all. 
And over a period of time, I bought and sold over 500 properties, you know. No real estate license, no nothing. I buy and sell, buy and sell. And I made a, uh, I made a very, very comfortable living with that and got and actually got out of the real estate business in t- at the peak in 2006 before the big meltdown. And I, re- I really saw the meltdown coming. I said, man, i got to get out of this business because I don't want to get caught holding property. I got out. I liquidated everything and got out. Sure enough, big crash. I mean, real estate's coming back now. But I never, I didn't get back into it. Uh, and now uh, I own a business, a pizza shop in Greenville, South Carolina, with my family called Vic's Pizza. And it's cool. It's, uh, it's ranked the number one pizza uh, shop in Greenville, South Carolina. And that's a very cool thing meet a lot of great people. It's a wonderful town. Family working together is very cool. And uh, I know I'm not talking about motivational speaking here, but but here's the next thing, okay? Uh, Myself and a couple of partners, we're getting ready to launch something April the 3rd that's going to change the – it's going to change the whole fitness industry worldwide. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. It's going to change the fitness industry on a global basis. April the 3rd, we're going to launch it, actually flip the switch on it. Maybe I can, maybe I can come back before we do that if, if you guys want to. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, well, here's what I can I, I can only tell you so much, okay? Here's, here's the name of it, Smackdown Training. Smackdown Training. I like it. But it, I can I can tell you. Well, well, if we get a chance to talk again, you know, it, this is just an amazing, amazing concept that uh, it can change the lives of millions of people. I mean, it really, really can. We're very uh, we're excited about it. Very excited about it. Now, speaking of changing the lives of many people, on your website, AustinNightAlive.com, you also have exclusive fitness and nutrition. Um, basically booklets. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's cool. It's a 30-page it's a booklet, you know, so it's not like an encyclopedia, but it's a 30-page booklet, and it, it's really neat. I mean, I've broken down uh, so, so much information that can be so confusing to people who are not really, they don't really have the knowledge base about nutrition and whether it's proteins, carbohydrates, starchy foods, whatever, uh, so I've given them a real simple breakdown about how one should um, can be nutritionally sound without having to, you know, go into a big denial diet. You know, where I can't have this, I can't have that. But it's just it's just simple information that anybody can understand, and I really believe everybody can get some really good use out of this. Uh, it's inexpensive. It's twenty five bucks plus uh, shipping. You just got to have a uh, you know send a it's PayPal only you know so you just order through by your with your email address really. But it's it's really uh, it's really a lot of great information. Recipes, healthy recipes, pretty cool stuff. Now just switching gears back to your career real quick, because I I gotta ask you this: What is your favorite match of all time that you've had? Favorite match? Yeah, gosh, you know the Waller hair match. You know, you know that's got to be up there. 
is that's up there. Oh man, I, I mean, Flair and I've had some great ones. I mean, we wrestled for an hour. Matter of fact, we had one. Flair and I had a match somewhere in Alabama. I think it was dope in Alabama. We wrestled for an hour, and actually, I I, I was awarded the belt. You know, the referee counted one, two, three. Flair shoulders down, bang. People went insane. You know, they thought they saw the, the belt switch hands. Referee put the belt in my hands, and it was reversed, you know, uh, on television where the belt's taken away from me and given back to Flair. But that was a pretty cool night. But, God, I've had so many, so many matches with so many people. I mean, it just, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good laundry list of talent that I've wrestled against. Now, do you have a favorite opponent all the time? Well, you know, i got to go to Waller. You know, I had that run with him. You know, you have a run with somebody that long. I mean, it's, which is not commonplace. I'm, I'm sure it's not even commonplace now. But when you have a run that long with somebody, it's like, uh, you know, you know what you, you know what each other are thinking and doing, you know, you, before you think it or before you do it. Now, what would you say would be your lasting legacy on the wrestling business? He did it his way. He did it on his own terms. You know, he didn't let the he didn't let the the wrestling business uh, dictate his life. He dictated his own life. You know, he did not become a slave. And to this day, I'm, I'm you know, I mean, I'm a I'm a lucky guy. You know, I'm a lucky guy that I didn't because I'm healthy. I train six days a week. You know, my weight's good. You know, I mean, really, you know, I still look pretty good. And, uh, you know, I'm not limping around. My knees are good. Elbows are good. Back, shoulders, neck. I mean, I'm healthy. I'm a healthy guy, you know. So if I'd have gone through the, you know, the meat grinder for, you know, X amount of years, that may not be the case. Well, we really thank you for coming on. And we will have you back whenever you want to come back and promote uh, your your new fitness endeavor. Um, but please, we encourage everybody to go to austinidollive.com and read all about Austin Idol's career, what he's got going on. As John has stated, the fitness and nutrition booklet, uh, how you can book Austin Idol, and also go on to twitter.com slash austinidollive and just live it up with Austin Idol. He's got so much that's out there on the internet directly from him that you can't go wrong. And we really thank you so much for coming on. And we do want to keep going. Cause I told you we could go all night, <laughs> Well, we're going to stop right here, but we can keep going with you. Cause it's been such a pleasure. Well, thanks guys. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And, and we'll definitely get back together for sure. And so I can go into some serious detail about SmackDown training. It's got a pretty good ring to it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It does. It really does. It's cool. It's very, very cool. We're real proud of it. Well, thank you so much, and please, you know, we'll, we'll both keep in touch, and uh, you know, let's let's get you back, and let's talk about uh, let's talk about it in detail, and as much as we're so like uh, we're so taken, we don't have any information right now. We're all on the edge of our seats. So. <laughs> okay, good. Well, don't fall off. Them. Okay. All right, guys. Then. Uh, then all right. We'll, thanks, we'll Austin. Catch up at a later date. Okay. Thanks, all right, guys. Thank you, Austin. Okay. Okay. Later Take on. Care. See y'all. You Bye. too. Bye.